Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison, your host, and I'm so glad that you are taking some time out of your busy day to join us again this week. If you were with us last week, you heard the first part of the story of Amy Blackwell as she shared her testimony here on the podcast. Well, today I have the second part of that story, and I would urge you to stay tuned as you continue to hear more about the redemptive work that Jesus Christ did in Amy's life. And I hope that as you listen to that story that you are encouraged that he can do the same sort of redemptive work in your own life. I have actually quite a few things that I would like to address on today's show. And so bear with me. Um, We're going to kind of rapid fire through a lot of things. So the first thing I want to address on today's podcast is an article that I saw yesterday um, regarding an apology that Max Lucado made to the LGBT community uh, regarding a sermon that he gave in 2004. Um, And as I read that, my first thought is we need to continue to be strong in the Lord and to uphold the values that he calls us to do. And so It's a little disconcerting uh, that he felt the need to apologize about his views regarding homosexuality. The Bible clearly states that homosexuality and homosexual unions are against the word of God. So the first thing I would say is to urge Max Lucado not to bend on that point. And if he truly is bending on that point, then I would say, please Go back to your Bible, Max, and make sure you get this right. Because as a preacher, you are called to preach the whole counsel of God, even or perhaps especially, in a sense, when it becomes uncomfortable. But I think the other aspect of this is sometimes we as Christians can deliver the truth of the Scripture in a way that is not becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And we portray ourselves more about what we are against and less about what we are for, which is love and compassion, but the truth predominant. And so the first thing I would say is a word of caution to make sure that we stay close to the truth. The second thing I would say is that we need to make sure that we heed the the command of our Lord that we would share the truth in love. And my primary word of concern uh, about this apology is that a lot of times when we say that we need to be more loving and we need to apologize for the way that we have portrayed something, especially when it comes to biblical truth, it is often a softening of the truth. The Bible says that the world will hate us because they hated Jesus Christ before us. So we need to make sure that as we are being loving toward our neighbor, we are not compromising biblical truth. So Max, if by some happenstance the Lord directs you to this podcast and you hear it, I just want to encourage you to continue standing for truth and loving others, but realizing that the things that we say can be construed as hate for those that do not agree with the truth. The next thing on my list is I want to address President's Day. My friend Naomi, who is a longtime friend of the podcast and a past contributor, brought up something interesting about President Biden's President's Day speech. Good morning, Andrew. It's Naomi and... Um, I just wanted to share some thoughts I had on President Biden's recent President's Day speech. Um, I was disappointed that at the end he didn't do the traditional God bless America. Um, Not once did he mention God in the speech, and that was disappointing for me. Um, I know that I'm sure we could go back and forth debating, you know, whether he should say it if he doesn't mean it. But it was just something I observed, and I believe it's just another step towards a more totalitarian society. Um, One of the things that socialism and communism and fascism all have in common is the removal of God 
in society. So I just uh, noticed that while listening and thought I'd share it with you. Thank you, Naomi, for that call. So let's play uh, Biden's speech on President's Day, and then I will have some additional comments. Today we celebrate President's Day. But the American story isn't a story of presidents. It's a story of the American people, a story of courage, character, strength, and resilience, of facing the toughest challenges and overcoming them. It was true when Lincoln saved the Union. It was true when Franklin Delano Roosevelt told us the only thing we had to fear was fear itself. It was when John Kennedy stood in the winter air and summoned the country to serve. It was true when Lyndon B. Johnson watched the images from Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday and went to Congress to guarantee voting rights. Today, we're living through another long, dark winter in our nation's history, combating the deadly virus, joblessness, hunger, racial injustice, violent extremism, hopelessness, and despair. But I know we'll get through this. I know better days are ahead. I know it because I know the story of the history of the journey of this nation. The American people have never, ever, ever let this country down, given half a chance. So on this President's Day, I promise you, as your president, my whole soul is in the work ahead of us. And if we do it together, as one people, one nation, one America, we will not fail. America never has. All right, so here's a couple thoughts about that speech that we just listened to. First of all, I feel like he derailed the speech quite quickly because he was talking about President's Day, and yet he started out the speech basically by saying this isn't about presidents. So I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was also interesting that he used um, his President's Day speech to address all of the social ills that we have been going back and forth on over the months of 2020 and into 2021. I think it's interesting that in 1879, President's Day was founded primarily as a way to honor Abraham Lincoln and George Washington as being uh, founders and forefathers of our country who did great things for our nation. And I have to commend Biden for acknowledging that Abraham Lincoln saved the nation while he was in office, helped us through civil war. And I really, as I've studied Lincoln through the years, have gotten the feeling that he was there much like Esther of old for such a time as this, meaning the civil war, because right after within days of the civil war ending, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Now, he has been attacked of late, which is one reason why I commend Biden for including him in his speech. Naomi talked about how he didn't end his speech by saying, God bless you all or God bless America. And as I've grown up and watched different presidents from Reagan on through Trump, it's always been a tradition for the president to end his speeches with God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Now the case can be made uh, that if you don't really believe it or that's not really your passion, uh, that you shouldn't fake it. Um, But I would just say that part of the issue here is that this is a symptom and not a problem in and of itself. The fact that he did not acknowledge God in his speech is a problem, But it's a problem because it points to the fact that he doesn't really prioritize God in the actions that he takes. And we can go back a couple of years ago to a time when the Democratic Party came out and said, we are removing God from our political platform. Uh, Now, they got blowback for that, and I think they might have softened their stance a little bit, but the Democratic Party, by and large, has said God is not an important part of our platform. And so I think it's important for us to realize that this is a symptom, not an inherent problem of its own, but we need to fight against that kind of problem. And I think it's also important to note that 
he mentioned in his speech that America will not fail in their efforts to overcome the problems of the day because they never have. But I think it's important also to note that the Founding Fathers knew that the reason they would succeed is because God governs in the affairs of men. That was the famous saying by one Mr. Benjamin Franklin. So it does matter that God is in our government. Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to find out why America's democracy was successful. And he said, America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's American exceptionalism. You shouldn't, um, it shouldn't be a big thing to consider America this exceptional place. And by saying that you believe in the exceptionalism of America, you are saying that you don't believe it has flaws. And I, I want to be very clear here and say I believe we have flaws, but I think the key is to look at our history, acknowledge our flaws, and acknowledge the way uh, that we have progressed from those flaws. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have a ways to go in certain ways. It only means that we have achieved certain things and we can be grateful for those things while at the same time working to be better humans and a better society. But I find it really hard to support a, a, a candidate for president and an acting president now who says that he wants the best for everyone while at the same time saying that abortion, which is the killing of an unborn child, should be allowed. A person who says black lives matter and racism shouldn't be tolerated when the single biggest group who is exposed to abortion today is the African Americans. And that leads me to my next story, which is the national anthem is once again a part of a controversy on a national stage. Mark Cuban has decided that the national anthem can no longer be played before any home game in Dallas. The NBA initially supported this decision. But this afternoon, the NBA changed its mind. The league released a statement, quote, all teams will play the national anthem in keeping with longstanding league policy. Will Kane is the co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. We're happy to have him on tonight. Will, good to see you. Thanks, Tucker. So it seems to me the NBA could have said, you know, it's not just longstanding policy. We, you know, we kind of appreciate the country where our sport was invented and that sustains us. Why not take the chance to kind of defend America in the face of the attack on it? Because that would be unfashionable, Tucker. The fashionable point of view and the one that Mark Cuban seems to have adopted, perhaps because some of his employees hold this point of view, perhaps some of his players hold this point of view, but it's certainly a radical point of view is that America is irredeemably flawed, that we're defined by our yep. original sin of slavery and the residual racism. And so it's fashionable to believe that America's symbols, her flag, her national anthem, therefore, are politically divisive. Of course, you and I know that's not true. I think most people know that's not true, that the United States is a unique experiment in human history. We're defined by our aspirations, our goals, by our documents like the Constitution. And ultimately, Tucker, we know those are unifying elements, unifying symbols. But Marx seems to have adopted this idea, and it's totally dictated by the terms of the left, that the United States, its symbols are divisive, that we see the worst in America, and therefore we must cancel all of these symbols that the rest of us see as our aspirations and our unifying factors. That's why they won't take a principled stand. I think that's really smart and nicely expressed. I mean, those symbols amount to our culture, and our culture is the only thing that unites us. I mean, without a common culture, what do we have at that point? Right. And I'll tell you something more than that. 
part of that culture is sports. I love sports, Tucker. If you know anything about me, you know I came from the world of sports. I believe it brings us together across racial barriers, across socioeconomic barriers. We arbitrarily root for these ridiculous jerseys and laundry that we grew up around. I love the Mavericks. By the way, I'm coming to you live from Dallas. I'm from the DFW area. I'm a lifelong Mavericks fan. I suffered through the 90s. I celebrated the Dirk years. I'm excited about Luka Doncic. If Mark is watching, I'm a true, heartfelt fan of the Dallas Mavericks. But if you make me choose between the United States of America and the Mavericks, it will not be a hard choice. I know for some people, they will say, well, it's not a big deal to go without the national anthem. But the thing that I always say when something like this comes up is what's the next thing that's not a big deal? Because I feel like in this culture, we are often frogs in the water. You know, you put a frog in water and you gradually turn up the water underneath him until he boils to death, not realizing what had happened. And I really feel like that's the way the culture goes. I was watching another clip involving Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, and they were arguing this issue, and they were talking about it. And Shannon Sharp said something that really bugged me. He said they took school, they took prayer out of public schools, and public schools are doing just fine. But that's not true. The reality is, as we talked about this summer, we have public schools, and I know there are some that will say, well, there are some public schools that are good, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time debating which public schools are, are good and which public schools are bad, but the reality is that public schools are government schools, and that we had a situation this summer where a public school teacher was lamenting having to teach at a distance in the coming semester, not because teaching online has its technological disadvantages and, and dealing with technology and computers can often be difficult, not for that reason, but rather because if they did virtual class, parents would exert undue influence on their children and they would not be able to teach what they needed to teach. And that tells me all I need to know about the public school mindset. It is the job of parents to teach their children. So yes, getting away from the National Anthem, getting away from the Pledge of Allegiance may seem like a little thing, but once again, just like we talked about with Joe Biden, we're talking about a symptom of a greater problem. I understand mentioning God doesn't make God be important to you. You can mention God all you want, and he's not going to be important to you, but the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and so if you deliberately eliminate God from what you're doing, that it's going to cause trouble. And as Tucker Carlson says in this piece, the national anthem is an important part of our culture which unites us. And so if you pull that down, you're just asking for less unity in the name of unity. And once again, you are eliminating a part of our culture instead of discussing it. Avoiding something is not a discussion. Avoiding something, sweeping something under the rug is not a discussion. And ironically, the left will often accuse conservatives of that very thing, and yet they want to do it themselves. I just want to refer back to what I mentioned about Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless in their discussion. One of the things that bothered me about that is that Shannon Sharp said we have not, um, we have not made progress on equal rights or racial relations throughout the whole of our American culture. We, we've made progress in medicine. We've made progress in inventions, but we haven't made progress in this issue. The irony about that is that he's a multi-million dollar sports host sitting in a, in a studio giving me his opinion. 
America is built on the idea that I can come to this country and have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The final thing I will say is that it's the pursuit of happiness, not the guarantee of happiness. And I feel like where we are at as a culture is that we think that America should mean the guarantee of happiness. I'm super excited to share with you the balance of my conversation begun last week with Amy Blackwell. Last week, we began to talk about how she left the fruitless pursuit of perfection to pursue the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. I was really encouraged by our conversation, and I hope that if you haven't heard the first part of this, that you'll go back and listen to last week's episode. Before we get into this week's portion, I wanted to take the time to share with you our quote of the day. This week's quote of the day comes from 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, and it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. And I really like this quote because, number one, it resonates with Amy, our guest, and she will relate that later in the interview portion. But also I think it ties into what we've already talked about today. All of the conflicts that we have mentioned result from people whose hearts are not perfect before the Lord God. And so if I could encourage you to take the time today to make sure that you are right before the Lord, either rededicating yourself toward your, to your walk with Him or making a first-time decision to trust Him with your life. It's, it's something that you won't regret, and it's a promise that He makes that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, as I said, I'm excited to share with you the rest of this conversation with Amy Blackwell. Please keep Amy and all of her fellow Texans in prayer as they are in the midst of a deep freeze down south and snow totals that many of them have never seen before. I just want you to sit back, relax, and continue to enjoy the story of how God changed Amy Blackwell and brought her from darkness to light. I can definitely say from personal experience that if you um, are being called by God to do something, stop resisting because he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to let you get out of it. And you can save a lot of aggravation and time by just saying yes. You are very passionate about the pro-life issue. Could you talk a little bit more about the journey that you went on with your daughter and how how she was saved from a possible abortion? Yes. Well, one of those times when Will and I had split up, you know, I was pregnant and um, I did not want, you know, I was always pro-life. But, you know, he had said, you know, if we can't be married, then, um, you know, to get an abortion. And, of course, he said that out of hurt and pain. Um and, but a lot of this crazy stuff that went on and then my emotional state, I just finally just wanted it over with. And I agreed, of course, he didn't know that I did, but I ended up at an abortion clinic, went through all of that horrible, horrible experience. I detail that in the book. Um, I ended up going back to my appointment and, um, anyways, God intervened. He used, um, I call him the little old man on the sidewalk at the abortion clinic. And so because, um, and I kept that secret for a long time. But after, um, when I surrendered, you know, God's like, okay, I want it all surrendered, Amy. And I was like, oh, do I have to talk about that? <laughs> um, cause I was real ashamed. I mean, that was a horrible thing. I would, I would give my life for my daughter. Um, so I, I understand where women can be in a really horrible mindset and do, do stuff that we normally wouldn't do. So, um, yeah, I started, um, 
going to the abortion clinic, the same abortion clinic and doing sidewalk ministry, um, talking to the women, um, trying to get them to change their mind, sharing my story. And, um, I ended up reuniting with that little old man. I described him to one of the um, sidewalk counselors and he was well known. He's in his nineties now. So we had a reunion there on the sidewalk and, um, that was, um, aired on the news, which I did not think they were going to allow it just because it's about abortion. Right. So, um, so, um, I just started in abortion ministry, going to sidewalk. Then, um, you know, I end up going and speaking at different events and, um, and now, uh, here in Texas, we are going around to towns and the, um, cities are able to vote to pass an ordinance that outlaws abortion in their city limits. And so we're on town number 18 here in Texas. So, and of course we've really upset the abortion organizations. Um, they're, they've already sued my um, friend Mark and, um, trying to just do whatever they can to stop us. But, um, yeah, being up close and personal, going to, through the process myself, but changing my mind, I've met a lot of women that didn't change their mind and they have horrible, heartbreaking stories. And, um, you know, but there's a lot of girls that end up at abortion clinics that are lied to. Um, they're there because they're hopeless and they feel like it's the only way out. But then you've got that, that group, that percentage that it's their third, fourth, fifth time and they do not care. Their, their hearts are hardened. And those women, it, it's kind of like casting your pearls to swine. It's just, um, they, they truly know what they're doing and they don't care. But it's those ones that were me and it's like all they need is some hope and they need to be reminded that it's life and, um, that it's a baby and, you know, God can get them through anything. So yeah, I take my passion and I look at my daughter every day and it motivates me to, you know, do what I can to save a baby. And, um, even Facebook messages, Facebook posts, I know some people say, well, you know, how do you, how do you save a baby? Or like, is it that easy? And it really does come down to the simplest things. Um, one night I woke up, it was like 11 something. And I had this heaviness on my heart and this was back right before the pandemic and the lockdown. And, um, it was just like, go post on Facebook that if anybody's thinking of abortion, please contact you, you know, please contact myself and, um, and help me, uh, something like you won't regret changing your mind. So I shared it and went to sleep and woke up and, you know, it was like two weeks later, I guess. And it had been shared a bunch and some girl in Colorado had read it. So she sent me a message and she said, can you change my mind? And of course that's the most scariest thing to be asked because you're like, okay, God, you're going to have to be my, my voice because I don't know what to say. It's, it's so hard every time. And so, you know, we went through a couple of weeks of just, you know, back and forth and, oh man, she was angry and hurt and she'd already put a daughter up for adoption and, you know, you know, being, you know, cussed at and stuff, it gets, it gets, it drains you. It wears you down. And one day I was like, Lord, she, you know, she had messaged me and I was just like, Lord, I'm going to read it. I'm tired. I'm drained. (laughs) I said, if you, if you want me to message it, if you want me to answer it, you'll just put it on my heart to answer it. And I, and I felt like, he's like, no, you need to answer it. Um, so I looked at it one more time and of course it wasn't pretty for the next day. It was a, a rough roller coaster. She was not in a good place, but I was like, Lord, I'm not going to leave her. I'm just going to keep at it. And eventually she broke kind of like me, you know, um, I broke on the way to the abortion clinic and changed my mind. And just like that, she broke and, um, and I told her, I said, I will, I will do everything in my power that I can to be with you. And when I said that, I was like, Lord, you're going to have to give me exactly what she needs. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on God to, to give me what she needs. Cause this girl had no family, nothing, no daddy, um, the baby's daddy or anything. So, uh, I watched her from the time all this happened in late March. Um, all watching her grow. And of course this is all through Facebook and just, you know, it's messaging, but like, her confidence as a mom and just pouring into her and she gave birth in October 
and we raised money for her. Um, my community pulled together. She went and I told her to um, do a baby registry on Amazon. She had gifts coming into her house and from people she didn't even know. It was just like God was just showing out into her life because she needed, that's what she needed. She needed to know she could do this. And I told her if you would just trust in God, he will provide. And everything that she has needed till this day, God has provide. Um, she had a battery that she had out in her car and this was not too long ago. And she's like, I really hate asking you this, but is there any way that, you know, maybe we could do a fundraiser? And so long story short, I, you know, put it on Facebook and immediately someone called and put the money in to my account and I sent it to her. And she's like, this is so awesome. God does supply our needs. I said, yes, if you will trust him, he will take care of you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And so anyways, that little baby, um, yeah, she's cute. She'll send me pictures and, um, it's been a, a pretty amazing thing. So something as simple as a Facebook post can save a baby. It's just that easy. That's awesome. Uh, and it really, I hope gives some people some hope. Um, because one thing that I have noticed over the last few months, um, and, and I'd kind of like to know what your thoughts are on how to address this is that people who are believers in Jesus people that I have respected in other areas of life, I've had conversations with them where they rationalize people having abortions. Like maybe they wouldn't do it themselves, but they can't tell somebody else not to do it. How would you address that response? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of a, there's no easy way to say it. It's just, you know, I know we say it all the time. It's murder. It's murdering a human. But if you look around at our society, we have devalued human life so much that, and, and not and not just humans, but animals, like all, all of God's creation, we don't take care of his, his world he created. We have devalued everything from top of the, the chain is, is humans. That's the life that's most important, but all the way down. We do not care about anything. And um, we're all about us, us, what we can get, what, what can get us the most in life and that um, pleasure for the moment. And so that's the mindset that even the church has, has, you know, adopted is that, well, you know, I wouldn't personally have an abortion, but, you know, I'm not going to tell someone they can't. That, that automatically shows you that they're not in the word of God. They're not in a close relationship with God. When I was at the abortion clinic, I was not in close relationship with God. Um, the people that go there, they're not, they're not trusting him. Um, the, the pastors are pastors today. It's, it's, I'll just say this, but if you're not preaching sometime, sometime in your service <laughs> at some point about abortion, you're not in close relationship with God because this is the most, horrible thing that is going on in our world today and um just because you can't see them they're they're humans they're life they're made in the image of god and it goes throughout the whole you know scriptures we see where i knew you before you were born um and if god knows us before we were born then who are we to take that life out um and in the instance of rape it, that's what people always bring up which is a small percentage but most of the women that are raped keep their babies or adopt them out. And it doesn't matter what horrible thing has happened. It does not justify killing another human. And, but we have become so numb to it. Our society has that it just doesn't bother anybody anymore. Oh, absolutely. I always tell people there's no excuse you can give me. Mm -hmm. No reason for abortion that you can give me that diminishes the humanity of the child in question. How did you decide to start a podcast? I went through a year of healing and then I really started, um, you know, branching out and throughout the book and everything, but I'm all about share your story. You got it. Um, I don't care what kind of story you have. Share it, share it. There's so much healing and I'm still healing to this day. And every time I share my story or what God's brought me through, I just, I feel like a little bit more healed in those areas. And so I'm constantly telling people, share your story. And, um, I know a lot of us don't have, um, platforms or the money to, you know, go off and, um, 
I guess, promote our book or whatever it may be. And I want to give people the opportunity and the, well, I say audience (laughs) and the audience eventually, um, to, to share their stories in the way that they want to share their stories in their words, the way they feel led to do it. And, um, I always tell people like the reason that Will and I's marriage, there was hope for it is because two couples from our church came out and said, Hey, we were divorced and got remarried. And then when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, like y'all are so like strong in your marriage and in your faith and all this, what God has done in your life. And it gave me hope. So when we hear other people's stories, we, we instantly go, Oh, well, if it happened to them, then there's hope for me. So the podcast, um, it's called unwanted testimonies. And, um, I did a few and it's kind of crazy because I was doing them. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, so I just thought, you know, I just felt led, I felt led to do it. I was like, got on YouTube and I saw all this equipment you had to buy. I was like, I'm not spending that. I don't have that to spend. So I just use my phone in the app. Well, it's awesome to see how, how God is working and, and using podcasting to allow people to tell stories. How, how did it come about that you got a chance to have your story told on Unshackled? Well, whenever I was Googling um, ways to write a book and sharing stories, maybe on, um, not podcast or something. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of like searching in the dirt, but I just felt like I was supposed to tell my story. So I was trying to find all these avenues to do so. And so one time when I was Google searching everything, um, the unshackled thing popped up and I read about it where you could send in your story. And of course, um, I had somewhat of all of my story written out already for the book, but it was far from finished and, and edited. So, um, I had sent it in and didn't think nothing else of it. And they, they messaged me and wanted all this information that I didn't have, um, in the word document and it was overwhelming. So I just kind of like didn't respond. And then a few months later, the book finally took off and got finished. And, um, so I just emailed the lady back and I said, can I just send you the book? It's finished and it's all there now. And the content So I sent it in and um, they accepted the story and then I had to get, of course, references and, um, it was like, okay, well, so it just was a lot of, it's a long process to get, I guess, vetted, (laughs) make sure you're who you say you are and your pastor has to write in, um, something for you to validate who you are and just a friends and family and stuff. And so, um, yeah, and then I, they accepted it and, um, they started asking me like, what's your voice sound like? What's your so-and-so and so-and-so's voice? And I was like, well, we're all Texans. <laughs> we all sound like Texas people. So that was kind of a fun thing. And when they sent me the script back for the, um, it's two segments, two parts, and it's 30 minutes each. And, um, you know, you hear like my dad on there and me as a little girl. And it's very, uh, it's a really weird experience to like hear your story played out and hear voices and go back through those moments. And I remember when I heard them for the first time, I just like started crying because I was like there again. So it was really neat. And so, um, of course the pandemic happened and, um, production, I was invited to come up there while they produced it. And, um, but because of COVID that got, I couldn't do that. So eventually they, they got it produced and they aired it on in September but I had a dream and I was um, contemplating finishing the book and everything. And so I just went to sleep and had a dream and um, I was in a, a theater and it was me alone in this big theater. And I got up to walk out and Alec um, Kendrick with the Kendrick brothers, he was sitting there and I looked at him and he said, continue to do what you're doing. Don't give up. God's going to use you. And then instantly I was in the middle of the street in this neighborhood and over like in this park area, there was film crew and, um, people like a set, like they were recording something. And then I woke up. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to, this must be from, this must be a God thing. And so, uh, it gave me the, um, the 
I guess the strength to keep on pushing through because writing a book is very hard, especially when it's your personal testimony. It's very hard and draining and it's Satan will attack you from every area. And so, um, I've always felt still to this day, and I don't know, I don't know what God's going to do with it. But after the unshackled thing happened, I was like, I want my story to be on film. And the reason this is, it's nothing to get my, nothing for me. Like, Oh, look at me. I have a movie that's made out of my life, but I've looked at all these movies that there's out there and there is nothing about, um, especially for women, what women go through, um, when you are living in shame and you feel worthless, there are so many women and women who hide it well, but they go to bed every night and they cry. They feel dirty. They feel shameful. They feel like they are not enough. And I remember being that every single day and living it for nine, 10 years. And if there was a movie that they could actually see the emotion and the, what someone goes through and to see it, the raw and real stuff that happens and what can happen if you stay in this mindset, um, then that could give them hope. If they, if they see something and they can go, I can relate to that. And there's something about seeing something played out. When we watch movies, we can really get into them because it's almost like we're there. It's reality. So that's my, that's what I'm, I'm like. It's all God though. If he wants it done, he'll clearly, um, make it happen because I, I have a book that I had, you know, I had no skill in doing, but yet it's existing. <laughs> I just happened to have with me a clip from your unshackled broadcast. So let's listen to that now and then talk a little bit more about it. Okay. Now for broadcast around the earth. Here is episode number 3,635 in the series, Unshackled, the program that makes you face yourself and think. I've been a peacekeeper all my life, but it took a long time to learn there was a difference between making true peace and just making people happy. I was a world-class people pleaser. On our small dairy farm in rural Texas, I filled my world with Christian music, Little House in the Prairie, and trying to be the perfect daughter and Christ follower. My parents fighting didn't prevent me from idolizing my father, and I sought to please him however I could. What'd you think of the service? I liked all the stories. What do you mean? I mean the people who get up and tell their stories. <laughs> the testimonies. Testimonies, yeah, I like those. They do drugs and they party or they go to jail or get into fights. And now they get to tell their stories and they help people. I feel like I'm never going to get to tell my story. How so? I guess. I mean, how's the testimony of a boring girl who prays to Jesus in a barn ever going to be something that God could use? Amy, the testimonies we heard today are filled with pain and heartache and lasting consequences. Those stories don't feel exciting when you're in the middle of it. They feel terrifying. You don't want that kind of testimony. Then how do I serve God? You do what you're told every day. You clean the barn for what, an hour this morning? Yeah. Well, I still saw some manure when I went in there. You did? I did. All I'm saying is what would have happened if you'd cleaned for two hours? It would have been perfect. That's how we serve God. Working as hard as we can and being the best that we can. Okay. That way, you can skip the drugs and the jail. <laughs> All right, sugar? <laughs> All right, Daddy. Today, we'll meet a woman whose lifelong battle with codependency made it difficult for her to submit and depend on the one she should. Based on her book, The Testimony I Never Wanted, here's part one of the true story of Amy Blackwell. Right now on Unshackled. So what was it like to hear that for the first time? Yeah, that's that was crazy. It was um I remember it was emotional because it was it was almost like I was back there going through the the did real they, thing. Did they send it to you before they aired it? No, they sent me the scripts. Okay. 
So I knew what the script was going, they, you know, each character, what they were going to say. And, um, but then no, I heard it just the same as everybody else. <laughs> Can you tell us, tell me a little bit about your family? Um, yes, we have, um, I have a stepdaughter, Hannah, she's a sophomore in college. And then my son, um, he will be graduating this year. So it's kind of a bittersweet, but, um, I have a daughter who is 14 and of course, uh, Emma, uh, she's nine and we live in a small town in East Texas, a big town of Mount Enterprise. And my husband, he's been in the car industry for gosh, uh, 25 so years. So, but, um, yeah, I I'm stay home. I take care of the kids and, um, I have a small boutique, boutique business that keeps me kind of busy when I'm, I'm not too busy with everything else, but, um, yeah. And we go to a cowboy church and that's, we, we love that because they're, um, they're all about reaching the people that normally would feel uncomfortable coming into the formal top setting of a church. And there's been some awesome things happen, um, at, at our church. And so, um, but yeah, I guess, you know, we have, I have goats and, um, well, we just had a pig, but we, we, we rehomed the pig because she kept getting pregnant and having piglets. <laughs> and we don't have a boy pig, but apparently we had a traveler <laughs> that kept coming to our house and oh, nobody God. would believe me. Nobody believed me. I said, she's pregnant. There's no way that she's that big. And, um, cause this was a mini pig, you know, and of course we found out later there's no such thing as a mini pig, but, um, yeah, we would look out there and, there's little piglets running around. And so after the second batch, we found someone who um, really loved pigs. And so she's in a good place now. And so we're not pig farmers anymore. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Bible verse that you would like to share with us today? I have a few of them, but one that I had heard about four years ago around this time Um uh, it's second Chronicles 69. And it is for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that tells me that it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what you look like. It's truly, um, even in, if you have just like in my situation, um, just driven your life off a cliff, like God is looking for a heart that is wanting him that is desperate for him. And so that, that scripture is like fully committed to him. He's just looking, he's looking for, he's looking right now for to people to, to finally get their hearts committed towards him. And um, so that's, that's a hopeful scripture to me. It is a hopeful scripture. It's kind of interesting the way things are written in the Bible. They're, they're written very realistically too. You know, I always think of that scripture also in Chronicles where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. But to Mm -hmm. me, the most interesting thing about that story is God isn't telling them this at a time of trouble. He's telling them this at a time when they are following him wholeheartedly because he knows the human spirit. He knows our tendency to wander. All right. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. And I just have one final question. And that is, uh, we just finished 2020. It's been a year of great change and upheaval. And as I have related, I things pivoted for me with my uh, podcast. And then also the fact that I worked at work at a Christian school, I had two different work shutdowns where I couldn't be with my students because of the COVID um, restrictions. So what has God taught you in 2020? Well, this may be, I don't know, this is maybe a different answer, but when I think of 2020 and what it's taught me and what God has shown me is that all the things that your heart desires, maybe it's something from maybe a loss because of a mistake you made in my case, um, my two older kids there, we do 50, 50 with their dad and I. So, um, and it's real hard to be a, 
you know, I want to be a full-time mom, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of things that I miss out on and, you know, just missing the time and everything. And, um, so in 2020, it shut down school, it put my kids home every day. Then there was a time when I was just, you know, really struggling, um, with that, you know, cause it's a thorn in my side, you know, it's kind of like the consequence from divorce. It's, it's there so that I will encourage other people to think twice because it's not fun. Um, but there was a time where, uh, my kids and us, we all had to quarantine together for, um, you know, like seven, 10 days. And, um, and so we, I had all the kids together and it's those little things. And I just saw God like answering prayers and like giving me things that I didn't deserve. And so, and then just throughout the whole year, I mean, something as bad and horrible as my son breaking his leg, like he's so independent now being a senior this year. Um, but he, he needed his mama. <laughs> and so like, I, I looked at all the, the horrible things that were happening in 2020, but gosh, God, like completely gave me so much more in it. And there, you know, and, and we've had friends that have lost their lives to COVID and also a lot of, I don't you know, I'm not downplaying the horrible things that have happened, but I see back, um, over 2020, I see so many good things that God brought out of just slowing everyone down and shutting down stuff to redirect what is the most important, which is family and him. And, um, you know, also the need for fellowship and church because whenever they shut the churches down, it's like, wait a minute, you know, we need this. So that would be what I would say that, God has shown me and taught me and given me through 2020. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, if you are out there listening and you're encouraged by this episode, please take some time to, to look up Amy and find her book, the testimony I never wanted. And also her unshackled episode, which aired in September of 2020. Um, you can also find unwanted testimony, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. So I'd encourage you to do that. I know Amy said she's on a bit of a hiatus right now, but she will be getting back to it. I hope that you have a wonderful week and that above all, you keep serving the best of masters. <laughs>